Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. What's it really like to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century? I'm your host, Eric Nevins. And today I cannot wait to introduce you to our guest. He's a guy, one of the first people I met when I first went to New Media Summit, uh, sat down at a table and sitting across from me was this gentleman. He started a business, a $2 million per year business at age 19. Can't wait to hear about that. Um, and God changed his life. Um, he's doing some real interesting things. He's going to tell us all about that. So um, our guest today is Joseph Warren. Joseph, welcome to Halfway There. Eric, I am so happy to be here. Let's let's uh, see what God wants to share with your listener right here today. I'm an open book, so ask whatever you want. I will follow your lead, sir. That'll be fantastic. I appreciate you being here. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now, and then um, we'll do that first, and then we'll go back. You know, I always like the who you are question. It's just so broad. It's like, <laughs> who was I f- two weeks ago? Maybe yeah. different than who I feel I am right now. Because God's shifting stuff in my life. But the short answer is I am son of God, the father, the creator of the entire universe. And I walk in his power and in his authority. And I am heir to his kingdom. Amen. And I finally got that. And I finally get that at this stage of my life. And that if I really want the things I've always dreamed about as a boy to actually happen in my life, Eric, then I have to set aside my ego. I have to set aside all Joseph's plans and schemes because I got a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I literally have to show up and surrender to my Heavenly Father every day and then surrender all outcomes and results and just take the steps that he shows me in front of me. And I don't want to sound all pious or anything like that, but that is just where I'm at right now. Yeah. Now, please keep in mind, less than a year ago, I was not in this place. I was messing up left and right times. You know, Grant Cardone speaks about 10x, you know, I was 10xing my sinfulness. And that's how I was showing up in my life. So that's who I am. This is where I am. And I'm looking forward to uh, where God is taking me right now. Yeah. Well, I love everything you just said. Here's the thing. We don't get to those places without a journey, right? We we have to surrender is a step, a progression of steps. So absolutely. I think um, that'll be an interesting story to hear from you and to share with our friends. So um, you're in, you're in Tampa now, like where did you grow up there? Are you a, you a Florida boy or what? How'd you end up there? I like to mess with people and say, I'm from England. They're like, where's your accent from? <laughs> you're I'm like, definitely I'm from not. <laughs> and they're like, you're from England. I'm like, yes, new England. <laughs> nice. And I get them every time. So I'm from Long Island, born and raised on right. Long Island for some of you New York listeners. And I've had the awesome opportunity at age 19. I grew up in poverty, bro. Are we in, into my story right yeah, now? Is tell where you want me to go? Yep. Tell me about your, your childhood. Yeah, got it. So I grew up in a very loving uh, home, Christian home. And there were six kids, dude, six kids, mom and dad. And there was a lot of love in the house until I turned eight and a half years old, at which point my mom decided that she no longer wanted to be married to my father. And for the next two years, we went through hell on earth in our, in our home. Um, 
with a divorce and custody battles. And it was just nasty, dude. And I was eight and a half years old. I had two siblings that were younger than me, the rest older than me. And for many of us, it was very traumatic experience to watch your all that you knew to be true, which was that you are loved and you're in a loving, safe environment as mm-hmm. a child. And all of a sudden you're not. And that changed really quickly. Almost overnight is how it felt as a, a young boy. Yeah. And I remember one of my parents, uh, as they were going through the custody battles, it was really like a, a bidding war for the kids. And it, and it just, it's a terrible system because it brings out the worst in humanity right. in us. And we all have that base, you know, survival thing. And my parents did the best they could, but they did some decisions that were really caused a lot of suffering for us children unnecessarily. And one of the things one of my parents said was, Joseph, you want to be with me. You want to choose me, right? Cause we got to pick which parent do you want to spend the rest of your young adult life with, which is like, scarring for a kid. What do you mean I have to choose? I love you both. Right. Why do I have to choose? And, but that's just how this broken system was. And uh, one parent whispered into my ears over and over and over and over again, that my other parent didn't love me, that they never loved me, that they had been lying to me all these years. And that's why I should pick this parent. And that was severe, traumatic, psychological, emotional abuse for an eight and a half year old boy. Yeah. And I remember, Eric, I made an unconscious decision in my life on the inside without even knowing it, never to love again, never to let anyone in again, because I never wanted to get hurt like that again. Yeah. So what did that do to your view of God? So you said they had a very, a very faithful kind of family. I'm guessing you were Catholic. You're, you're, you're Catholic now, right? You have that, you have a broken, broken Catholic podcast, which is pretty cool. Yes. I am a broken Catholic and former atheist, sir. Okay. We'll get to that part. So, uh, but what, so what did that do to your vision of who God was? Like what God. Yeah. Was- such a great question. And, and not only did this do it for me, but over the years, Eric, I've learned that most adults, including myself, when we're kids, we associate and project onto our Heavenly Father a mirror image of the relationship that we have or had with our human father. And there was a lot of scarring going on back then. So, plus, my human father was Marine Corps, and he brought. Uh, the Marine Corps discipline and way of being and doing into Christianity and and brought the two together. So now all of a sudden growing up Catholic, right? Catholicism already has its rules and regulations and now add Marine Corps into it, intensity. And you have a very uh, dictatorship type of environment, unfortunately. And that's how that's how I was introduced to God, unfortunately, was that he was someone to be feared. He was someone to run and hide from when you mess up, very much like Adam and Eve in the garden. Sure. And 
I really got to experience that not only in how God was delivered to me as a child, but also how my own father, my human father, God bless him, but how he showed up in his own life and he was searching and seeking, but he was falling short in areas and he was delivering and showing up as this, this stern, strict, discipline, over, over, like perform type of father and expected the same results out of innocent children who aren't developed yet. So my view of God was God was a tyrant. Mm, Yeah. God was the old Testament God fire and brimstone and, you know, just killing off, you know, nations and generations and, And that was really the only view I had of God growing up. And yes, I read the New Testament and and we grew up on all that, but it didn't land for me, this loving, mercy, compassionate God, because that wasn't my life experience. It was early on, but after the divorce, I literally blocked out all of the good years of my life because of all the trauma. Yeah, well, that totally makes sense. Uh, And it's interesting. So I'm guessing that you had to deal with you know, that vision of God. And that that's why it's so profound that you started this conversation out with, I am a child of the King, right? Like that's, that's uh, definitely part of the journey. So what were the implications of that? How did that work out in your life? If you have this kind of God as a taskmaster, God as a Marine kind of view, well, how'd that work out as you were growing up, as you, as you got older? Yeah, it didn't work out very well for me, actually. Um, I ran from him, right? Because I didn't want a God who was a boot camp sergeant, a drill sergeant, barking orders and rules. And and if I didn't do it or I underperformed or I messed up, then there was consequences and punishment for it. Well, I'm a young man and I'm like, I don't want all that. So I ran. I ran from it. And at age 19, I had made a decision. I grew up in poverty, And my dad did the best he could, but it was always, you know, we always had food on the table, but it was always a struggle. And, and I was like any other young man. And I compared myself to my friends in school and what they had. And I didn't have what they had. We couldn't afford the fashion and the trends and all. I couldn't even join a, a, you know, a sports team. I loved football. I couldn't play football, you know, with all my friends in junior high and high school because my parents didn't have the extra money to pay for all the equipment. Yeah, you know the padding and everything. So I missed out on a lot of those things, and I decided at that that age I wanted my life to look different when I became a man. I wanted three things: I wanted to be happy, I wanted to be healthy, and I wanted to be wealthy. And it was very simplistic, but it made a lot of sense to me. So I I had this fire inside of me, this entrepreneurial drive to go out and create something better, a life for myself. So at 19 years old, I ran. I didn't just run from God, but I Mm -hmm. ran from my family. I ran from my neighborhood. I ran from everything that I once knew. And I did the prodigal son thing. And I ran to a foreign land to start over and spend whatever, you know, fortune I was about to make. Yeah. Okay. And is that how you ended up in Florida or where'd you go? So uh, do you want me to go into the entrepreneurial? Yeah, tell us that story. Yeah, so at age 19 years old, um, I partnered up with some guys and they were the business side of our business that we started. And I was the, um, I guess, the evangelist in a way. 
I was the guy that built the teams and went out and taught them and trained them and taught by example. And I was the biz dev guy. So I brought in all the sales and trained the teams and built up the company. And uh, we started a professional fundraising company for national nonprofit charities. So the shorthand of that is most nonprofits suck at raising their own <laughs> funds. True. Um, but they're great at their cause. So we started a for-profit agency that would go out and raise money on their behalf and do the dirty work of raising the money, hitting the streets. And then we would cut them a check and we would take a transactional fee for our services. And they got free money to go and do the wonderful causes and awesome things they do in the world. And it was really a fantastic model. And I went out there and built up a team of 50 people on the streets every day, running around anywhere, um, asking people to donate to these great causes. And it was all legitimate. And they got the tax write-offs and the receipts and the credit credentials, all that stuff. And in 12 short months, I spent 110 hours a week working that. Wow. And in 12 short months, we hit $2 million in revenue. And we were like, what the heck did we just build? And then we realized we had something that we could now scale and duplicate. So we did. We started scaling into multiple cities. So I moved to Chicago and did it there, 2 million in 12 months. Los Angeles, 2 million in 12 months. San Diego, 2 million in 12 months. And then I burnt out and left the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you threw yourself into work and trying to make that happy, healthy, and and uh, wealthy, wealthy. Uh, mantra kind of come to life and you did it. Except you were maybe healthy. You got that right. Yeah. No, I, I hit the money part, right? And here's what's interesting. I started to worship. I left my God behind in the dust. And I went and started to worship the gods of money, success, and pleasure. Those were my three gods. And bro, I pursued them earnestly. I didn't pursue the one true God earnestly. I pursued mm -hmm. those gods. And when I finally got everything that society promised me would make me happy, Eric, I was miserable. Yeah. I was depressed, severely depressed. I was borderline suicidal, wanted to have thoughts of taking my own life. I was so unhappy and so sad, yet I had the money. I had the cars. I had the women. I had a lot of the women. And I used a lot of God's beautiful daughters. I did. I was in my early 20s, and I was just self-centered, big, fat ego. And I bottomed out. I crashed and burned when yeah. I had everything. Well, what, so what happened? So you, so you hit the wall. You're like, okay, this is, this is done. Like, how did, how did you begin to realize that? Was it a gradual thing or was it like a, you know, like all of a sudden you were like, whoa, I got arrested and this is, you know, or whatever. Like, I don't know what, what happened. How did you go? Oh, I, this is something, I need something different. Sure. So I'd like to say I was in charge of it, but I wasn't. And I've, I've learned that lesson in my life that I'm in control of nothing. <laughs> yeah. The sooner I get that and release control or attempted control to God, the sooner things in my life work out. But uh, at that time, I semi-retired for five years uh, at the ripe old age of, I think I was like 24 uh, years old. And I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. And I ended up partying for five years straight. Wow. And I blew through everything I had. And 
I remember at the end of the five years, it was a two-week time frame, Eric, where I lost everything. All my money went gone. Um, I lost uh, the properties. I lost the, the cars. I lost all the material possessions that everybody wanted to be my friend because I had some of those things. Yeah. And I lost the girls. Um, my full-time girlfriend at the time dumped me on my birthday. Oh, uh, and this was brutal. all within, yeah, this was all within a two week time frame that all those things came to a head. All my friends, my so-called friends deserted me, wanted nothing to do with me. And I literally found myself in a foreign land, Scottsdale, Arizona with nobody and nothing. And I hit rock bottom. And I remember I was, I didn't think to turn to God. He was the furthest one from me. Maybe there was a lot of guilt and shame there, Mm -hmm. but I had already almost been murdered twice while I was out there and he spared my life. I shouldn't have walked away from both of those situations yet. I had no gratitude for him. I had no anything for him. I had what was worse than hatred. I had indifference. And I bottomed out, nothing, lost everything. And I made a phone call to my sister in Tampa, Florida, my oldest sister, who I was somewhat close with, the closest out of my siblings at that time. And I was crying on the phone. And I hadn't cried since I was a boy. And I was always the happy, driven, successful sibling. And my sister was like, Joseph, this isn't like you. Like, things must be bad. I'm like, I lost everything. I lost it all. And I was just bawling and weeping. And she's like, well, if you got nothing left, then why don't you come out to Tampa and start over? Let me speak with my husband and let me get his permission, you know, because he's the head of my house. And um, maybe you can come here and live with us for a few months and rebuild and start over. It sounds like you need to be surrounded by some love right now. And, and that was a beautiful thing, dude. Wow. And uh, she called me the next day and said, my husband said, 100%, come on down. And Eric, I sold literally, when I say I lost everything, I lost everything. I had a few little possessions left. And I remember I, I, I did a yard sale <laughs> and uh, I got $300 <laughs> in cash. Wow. And it was gas money. Yeah. And I had a little piece of crap car uh, left over somehow from wherever. And I got in this little piece of crap car with a few little possessions and $300 in gas money. And I drove cross country. Uh, And I woke up the next day in a bunk bed at my sister's house (laughs) with my little nieces and nephews jumping up and down on the bed going, Uncle Joseph, Uncle Joseph, Uncle Joseph. And I remember I was like, it was such a surreal moment. Because I literally yesterday was in complete darkness, just sinfulness, yeah, ugliness, depression, despair, hopelessness, all the worst things in this world was yesterday. And now I'm sitting here surrounded by love and pure innocence with these little kitties loving on me and a sister that's welcomed me in. And it was really God doing all that, but I mm. just didn't see his hand in it at the time. Yeah, that sounds like a tremendous, you know, contrast. And I want to come back to that moment of love because that is really, it sounds like it's a really powerful moment. 
but I cannot let you breeze past the fact that you were nearly murdered twice. Like, okay, so here you are, you're, you're in Scottsdale, which is like as far across the country as you can get from New York. Right. So you clear, clear across the country. You've literally run from everything and you've, you've almost been murdered. Like so you, at least tell us one of those stories and how that kind of what, like what happened just so we have a little more context for where you were. I'll give you the short story. Okay. And it's the worst, more vulnerable story. I'm not proud of it. However, it's where I was in my life. Um, when I had all the money, cars, women, I was bored. I had everything. I was bored. So I started saying, well, what do I want to do that I've never done? So I started trying doing things like fun stuff just for the fun. I didn't need the money. So I did car sales for two weeks, made a couple thousand dollars in commissions oh, wow. and got bored. Yeah. Um, I tried being a waiting tables just for fun, just to see what that was like. Did okay with that and then got bored. Uh, and then I remember I was sitting down with a friend and this big guy, I would go to this, uh, this cafe every day for lunch in Scottsdale. And this guy would come in. He was this big kind of tough dude. And he always had this sadness in his eyes, but I didn't notice that back then. And I was intrigued by him. So I would ask him like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a bodyguard. And I was like, bodyguard for what? And he goes, high end escorts. Oh, wow. And I go, well, that sounds interesting. That sounds exciting. And I was so bored and so lost and I had no morals at this time in my life. I said, can you get me in? I want to try that. And fast forward, I became a bodyguard for high-end escorts in Scottsdale, Arizona, who would service all the Christian and non-Christian businessmen. Wow. That come in for all the conferences in Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's a very popular area. And then go home to their wives with diseases and all other things. And all those poor women, man, they have no idea their husbands are doing this. And God bless them all. But I got to see the darkness of society. I got to see there's an entire other society that happens in the nighttime, in the darkness. Yeah. And I got to live in that, dude. And I carried weapons and... You know, we would get aggressive and, and have to protect some of the girls because guys would get drunk and stupid. And there was an altercation in a hotel room at four in the morning. And I had to throw down with a big Texas steel worker. Wow. And he, he outweighed me by 100 pounds. And before I knew it, I lost my weapon and I was redecorating the hotel room with this guy. And I wasn't the biggest of guys out there. I knew how to handle myself. But I remember, Eric, there was something inside of me that couldn't hurt him. Mm. I still had like a spark of something good yeah. uh, in me. And I knew I was in the wrong. I just knew I was in the wrong. And when he was trying to murder me and he literally had this demonic thing going on, he was high on PCP and Ugh. didn't feel pain and... Uh, that made for a really difficult fight. And, um, and, the, and he literally would whisper in my ear as he was strangling me and sitting on my neck and smothering me in the couch cushions, what does it feel like to die? You know, and I, it was wow. just pure evil. Like the enemy was speaking right through this person. 
And I didn't think in my taking my last breath, and I was down to about one breath. I didn't think to call out to God. I didn't. I didn't see a white light. I was literally one breath away from hell for all eternity, dude. And like, I really want to wow. represence myself to that. And I'm feeling. I'm feeling that right now. Yeah. How close I came to eternal suffering. And that the love and mercy of God was the only thing between me and that. And I was so far away from him. Yeah. And I didn't deserve it. And this is the God that I worship. The God of the undeserving. Oh, amen. And it's not about deserving because it's just about his love, right? So. Wow, Joseph. So thank you for sharing that story with us. That was uh, definitely, it's uh, obviously a vulnerable moment. Um, Did you leave that experience feeling like, okay, I'm going to, like, I need to change my ways? Or that was just, that was just one thing that kind of was a, was a next step that looking back, you can see how, you know, lost you were. Eric, I'd like to give you the good answer, but. Yeah, no, I want the I real answer. In, in, in speaking transparently, I walked out of that hotel room somehow alive. I walked out blind in one eye, blood pouring out of my eye socket, and I couldn't see for two weeks. I didn't go to a hospital, and I literally thought I lost my vision and my <laughs> my humanity and all of it. And um even then, I, again, I was so far in the darkness. I was that lost sheep, mm-hmm. lost in the darkness. And God literally came into the darkness, left the 99 behind and came to find me. Yeah. And he pulled me out and I didn't recognize he was pulling me out. I didn't thank him. I was the sheep on, on, the sh- on his shoulders that was peeing on him. Yeah. <laughs> right? I wasn't grateful. I was just yeah. doing my thing. Right. And yep. so it, it has taken years and years and years. So it was just the next step. Sure. Um, of God breaking down the walls of stubbornness, the walls of ego around my heart, and all the pain and the trauma that that little eight and a half year old boy yeah. took on and no longer knew how to love or receive love. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense uh, given where you were. You know, interesting. You mentioned the, the sheep on, on Jesus' shoulder. Did you know? I've read this somewhere that the shepherds. When they would go get the get the sheep, like if they have a sheep that's gonna that keeps wandering, um, when they do that, they throw them on their shoulder, but they also break a leg. Did you know that? Like they I did not. So they'll hurt the the sheep ostensibly because then the the sheep has to stay close to the shepherd, right? So then he'll he'll stay close after that. So there's a reason Eric, for I'm the pain. Sure, you just I'm pretty sure you just summarized my faith journey with <laughs> there that. There we go. I've had many broken legs and I'm the stubborn sheep that yeah. keeps trying to limp away from my God. Yeah. And I think, I think that's an, it's when you start to learn about shepherding, it, it becomes a much more powerful metaphor. So um, I love that. Okay. Let's fast forward back. So obviously, you know, you were running away from the Lord and you finally have to drive across country and you get to your sister's house. You wake up with kids jumping on you, excited to see you love. Perhaps you hadn't known for a while. And, um, what, so where do you go from there? Like, how do you begin to find the Lord again in your life? Yeah, I couldn't tell you that because I wasn't seeking him. Mm. Um, I just went about 
rebuilding my business and rebuilding my life. And fast forward many years later, here in Tampa, Florida, um, I ended up working dead-end jobs and just saving up some money and moved out of my sister's, got my own place again and um, got out of the depression and just started to build, right? And uh, nothing was moving fast. It it wasn't Mm -hmm. like I had experienced that fast growth and fast money and fast cars and fast women. Um, It was a different life altogether. It was ordinary. And I, I wanted to make that wrong. But uh, over time, I, I was literally, I was bitter and I was resentful. And somehow I made God wrong about it, even though I was indifferent to him. Like it's his fault. It's his fault that all that happened. Not it's my responsibility that I chose and brought all that crap into my life. And I created that mess for myself. So I wasn't even at that point of taking ownership yet of my life. But I remember um, something happened where God tapped on my shoulder and I was going about just paying my bills and trying to rebuild. And I got this constant nagging on the inside to come spend time with him. And I was like, I just kept shrugging it off. Like, go away. Like I'm busy. And it just kept persisting. And it was the Holy Spirit just putting that prompting. Come yeah. spend time with me. I am what you want. Right. And I am what you seek. And, 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 and finally the nagging just persisted and persisted and got so much that I, I, I said one of my best prayers ever, Eric. And I just looked up and I said, what, what do you want? Can't <laughs> right. you see I'm busy rebuilding my life? Like I was making him wrong about it. like it's your fault. And I said, fine, you want me to come spend time with you? Okay. Here's all my bills. You know how much is needed. Provide me enough money to pay all my bills and I'll come and spend time with you. And if not, then back off. And as bold and uh, arrogant as that prayer is, I do believe now looking back, Eric, that God will take that prayer over indifference. Yeah. Dude, that's so honest. Anger. Yeah, even in anger and hatred, there's intimacy. Because you can't be angry at someone without being really deeply connected with them and your energy and your heart and your passion. So I was connected with him for a moment. And what I did, fast forward, uh, two weeks later, dude, he put two of my successful friends, business guys, into my life. And they hired me for life coaching. And I was like, what? Like, my life's a wreck. (laughs) Like, why would they hire me for life coaching? And there was one area of my life that I was doing very well in, and it was in the social space. And they were doing extremely well in the financial space with their businesses, but socially they were broke and inept and very lonely and miserable. And they said, Joseph, we want what you have. Can you teach me that? Can you coach me? And I said, well, if I'm going to do that, then they're going to pay through the nose. So (laughs) I I quoted them a really high amount and they're like, that's a lot of money. And I was like, yeah, and those are really big goals you have. So you either want it or you don't. And it's not like you don't have money, but you're miserable. So what's the problem? And they were like, okay. So I coached them for 30 days, both of them, they cut me checks. And with that, 
both those checks and a little bit of my savings, Eric, I was able to take off for eight months. And what did I do? I started spending the money. I started partying and going back to that old lifestyle with my buddies. And we rented, I flew to the Hamptons. We rented a big 11 bedroom, 10 bath house in the Hamptons. We're blowing through the money. We come back. I rent a beach house here. We're going through that. And I'll wrap this story up in this. Finally got to uh, back to Tampa in between my next trip and a godly friend of mine who I had shared that prayer with said, Hey, Joseph, how's it going? I was like, it's going great. And he's like, well, it looks like God did his end of the bargain. How are you doing with yours? Wow. And I went, Oh, and I just felt that good guilt. And I was like, shoot, that's right. God gave me this money. And I showed up at my chapel the next day, Eric, with my tail between my legs. And I said, God, I'm here. I commit to coming here every day for the next two weeks. And I'll spend an hour a day with you. If you want to talk, let me know. Otherwise, I'll just sit here. And that was it. And from there, God did the rest, dude. And he started putting people into my life. Mm -hmm. And during those two weeks, an hour a day, he started to touch my heart. And I started to receive his fatherly love, the very thing I was missing. Wow. Okay. So you, you started going to the, the chapel and putting yourself there. What was that experience like? Cause I want to hear about this because you, you do something on, in your Facebook group that I think is really cool. And I'm guessing that this starts here, but if I'm wrong, you tell me you, um, you just have, it's, it's you do a Facebook live and um, I remember interrupting you in Austin while you were doing your Facebook Live. I was like, dude, what's up? And you were like, Eric, shut up. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, I had no idea what you were doing. But what you do is you do this, uh, you, you kind of uh, ha- do an introduction, have a little a little uh, Bible time. You'll read some scripture. And then you say, okay, let's just listen to the Lord. And you create this space for people in the group for an hour to just sit and listen and to hear the Lord, which I'll tell you what. Until maybe the last two years, I didn't I didn't believe that God would actually speak to me, and now I'm kind of moving into that. So um, it's still a, it's in progress. I'm not great at it, but it is something that I I totally believe. So did that start in those two weeks? Was that like what was that experience like? And did you freak out or like well, how did you how did that work? Sure. So. You're, you are right. Uh, that's where it began way back then. And that FYI was, I want to say, four and a half years ago, um, that moment. And uh, I did the two weeks and it was miserable sitting there <laughs> in silence for two weeks. Bored. Talk about bored to the extreme with all the thoughts racing in my head of what I could be doing, should be doing. And I'm sitting here doing nothing. And I felt like such a loser. And I didn't realize that God was working on me. And I remember within the two-week time frame, I showed up and did my commitment. I didn't hear from God. I didn't say boo to him. Like, I just sat there, like uncooperative son. Yeah. Right? And and just kind of like doing the, the cross arms, Buddha position, like, poof, whatever. And... I remember a friend invited me to an event 
And he said, Hey, Joseph, you want to come to this, this, uh, Christian event? I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do the Christian event thing. And he goes, <laughs> well, listen, um, you know, there'll be a hundred single pretty girls there. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in what time is it? <laughs> right. And I said, yes. And we went and the speaker that night and they didn't do speakers hardly ever, but there was a speaker there that night and he was given his testimony and it was a, a Baptist, uh, church. And a Baptist uh, single young adults group, and and uh, this man was in his fifties and giving his testimony, and he was sharing about how God took over his life and how he now spends quiet time every single morning listening for God's word rather than talking at God. And I was like, what? And then he spoke about this thing I never heard about called marketplace ministry, where you bring God into your business and let God run your business. And literally God is the chairman and CEO, and you just become an, an overpaid employee as the business owner. Yeah. And you let God run all the big decisions of the business and you consult with him before you take an action. And I was like, what? Like, never heard of this before. Well, it turns out the other part of the testimony was that he runs a billion-dollar company here in Tampa. Wow. So now I had evidence that not only is he doing this, but it works. Well, you mean you can worship God and bring God into your business and still make profit? And a lot of it? Never heard those two concepts going together before, dude. Yeah. Well, that, I... I can see that, it's particularly Catholic, but evangelicals, we have this vow of poverty too, this sort of implicit spirit of poverty that we're like, hey, if I'm making money, I'm probably not doing something right or it's all about me. And that could not be farther from the truth. I'm working real hard to overcome that in my own life. But friends, it's like, don't you don't have to be poor to serve the Lord. In fact, resources, financial resources can be the way that he wants to use you in the world. Eric, you're so right. And again, looking back on my former lifestyle, that's what I did wrong was it was the worship of money and success right. and pleasure. And I made that my God. It was second, third or fourth, right? God was at the bottom of my list. Now putting God at the top of my list now in my business and still going and making the money and the profit and everything. Now it's congruent. This is the hierarchy of God. God first, others second, you are third. And when I finally got that, and it took a while to get there, but I'll go back to the story real quick. I ended up uh, going over to that billionaire and there was a prompting, go speak with him, go speak with him after the talk. And I, I spoke with him and I said, I've never heard about marketplace ministry. That just lit up something in me. I don't know. I just wanted to come speak with you or whatever. He goes, well, I'm starting this new uh, young men, young adult, uh, businessmen's group. Um, why don't you come to my office and be part of that? And I was like, okay. And I learned to just start at saying yes to the things God would open for me. Yeah. And that I, I went and I joined that. Then that led to me becoming part of another Christian ministry, Bible study type group. Um, and it was all in the Protestant space and I was raised Catholic and it, it was, my mind was trying to make something wrong about that. And I was like, no man, like, for whatever reason, I'm getting more nourishment right here than I did when I was younger. So like, I'm just going to go with what's working. So I, I kept doing that. And that led to another group. And there was a speaker. And I went over to that speaker because I connected with him and asked him about what he was talking about. And he spoke about he was the guy that taught the billionaire how to do the quiet listening prayer. <laughs> and nice. I was like, and he had a uh, do it yourself type course. And I was like, I want this. 
And he goes, well, you can get my, my workbook online. I was like, no, how much to hire you? Like I want one-on-one coaching and I've learned always go to the best, Yep. right? Get the best. So he was like, well, I don't really do private coaching. And I was like, well, again, how much? I want the best. I don't want to mess this up. If this is for real, then I want to learn to do it correctly. And he's, he said, he agreed. And he said, okay, fine, this much. And you could come to my house in this fancy neighborhood. And he was a very successful multimillionaire. And, and I paid him with the money that God had given me from that life coaching crap. Yeah, wow. And, and this is what happened. And God just kept leading me further and further and closer and closer to him. Now I teach others to do that very thing that allowed me to experience the loving, compassionate merciful father, God, the father, not just the wrath, justice, and judgment. Now God is both. And and we don't throw out one with the other. God is both. Right. Right. But I think we're now at a time in Christianity where the heavenly father wants to reveal uh, his huge, merciful, compassionate heart to his children. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly seems that way. And, I think it's a necessary corrective to some of the uh, fundamentalism and um, other other things, I guess, uh, other doctrines that have kind of taken over the way that we that we view God. Yeah, um, I think some of that starts. Well, we don't have to go there. There's a whole theological discussion of you know how we view Jesus' work and you know what he does on the cross. That's a whole different question for a different day, but I've been reading that was, about that. That was great self-discipline you just exhibited right there, Eric. Well <laughs> as a, done. As a podcaster, you know what that takes. He's Dude, like, oh, look, a rabbit hole. Yeah, Let's right. Let's not go there. Hey, I've got a serious theological education. I can go down that rabbit hole anytime with you, but we'll we'll do it some other time. Um, so, I, Joseph, I love that. You're transitioning, though, now to spiritual coaching, which... Um, so I'm really curious. I want to hear a little bit about that. And then I have a couple questions for you. Sure. So, uh, God put that on my heart, dude. Like I have two podcasts that I host. One is broken Catholic and I interview, uh, Protestants. I interview Catholics. I interview atheists. I interview agnostics about what God is doing in your life or has done in your life. And what I find with all my guests is that we're all the same in our struggles, Eric. Mm-hmm. We're all the same. Right. And I talk about removing the labels that divide us, especially as Christians and believers. Catholics and Protestants are like ridiculous with each other, making each other <laughs> right. wrong. And, and, and my theology is better than your theology and the way I worship is better than yours and all this other crap. And I believe that we all worship the same God. We all love our families. We all want heaven and we all have the same struggles. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the humanity that we're struggling with and how to connect that with the divine. So that's why I do my Broken Catholic podcast. And then I have an entrepreneurship podcast called Your First 100K. And I talk about business because that's what I've been successful at. And how do you integrate God into your business? That marketplace ministry that we were just chatting about. And that has now led me to start a spiritual coaching business. And I work specifically and exclusively with very successful business owners and CEOs who have made a ton of money in business, but in doing so, like I used to do, they left behind a part of themselves while they were chasing the buck and building the business empire. 
and they and maybe some of the areas the areas of their life that actually matter something's missing there like real connection with their god their spirituality or right. real connection with their spouse or real connection with their children or maybe it's simply real connection with themselves like inner peace you know how many wealthy people commit suicide uh. because they're so broken and miserable on the outside uh, sorry, on the inside, they're wealthy on the outside, but broke on the inside. So I'm able to show up for those people that have all the financial resources, but are so broke on the inside, or maybe they just don't know what's next or what they want or what God wants to do with their life. And I'm able to coach them and give them the clarity for my whole life of mess up Yeah, and a few successes. And I bring that uh, to them and I teach them how to do the daily holy hour which is that Facebook Live that you mentioned that I do every day at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I teach them how to get quiet with God for an hour and stop talking when you pray. Mm. It should be the 80-20 rule. Yes. 20% you talk, then shut up right. and let the creator of the universe <laughs> respond. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a monologue. Well, oh man, dude, this is so, like it took me forever to learn this. And you know, as a Protestant, we don't, we don't do that at all, dude. Prayer, prayer for the most part is just intercession. It's asking God for things for other people. Um, 90. Because he's the, he's the genie yeah. in the sky that's right. there to serve right. you rather than you serve them. And it's, and, and serve him. And it's like, we worship our own egos. Right. Well, so I'm always careful to say that's okay. Like that, that is part of prayer, but it's a smaller part than the 95%, right? It's a, it's a, maybe it's 10% of prayer, but there's also listening and learning how to listen. You've got to learn how to do that. Um, but first you have to believe that he'll respond. Like you got to know that he's going to be there. And, you know, so our doctrines of scripture, uh, I've been getting into this lately. I don't know what God's doing with it, but it's going to keep us from doing that. So, so let me speak to that if I may. Oh, please do. Because you brought up an interesting point before. You said, Joseph, it wasn't until recently that I ever heard or heard of, what do you mean? God still speaks to his people. Yep. Like that's the old Testament. God, God spoke to his people in the old Testament to the, and it was only to a select few, the prophets, right? So why would I ever believe that God speaks to his people now, or even more personally speaks to me? Well, first off, because he's God, <laughs> right. And he can do anything. And if he can't and he's limited by the limits we put on him, then he's not worth worshiping. That's not what God is. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omnipowerful. Right, yeah. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all these things. Why could he not like speak to Eric or speak to Joseph about our life and what he wants us to do? Why do we not believe that? And it goes back to what Jesus used to say, I think, or not used to say, but said, oh, ye of little faith. Yeah. If you just believe that I am God and you are loved and I have a special plan for your life, just believe it. That does not mean you need to have the feelings first. Right. right? Belief is a choice. It's a decision to believe. The feelings are, are a gift afterwards. So I just want to say that, Eric, and this is this guided listening prayer. I like to, 
to call it that, GLP, this guided listening prayer is a discipline that anyone can learn. I learned it from my Baptist Protestant brothers, nice. even as a Catholic, and I didn't make them wrong about it, but I learned and grew from them. And this is the whole point of the body of Christ. Amen. That God made us to be in community with each other and in communion with him. So if someone can teach me how to get in communion with my father, I don't care what color, shape, or flavor, or label you come in. Right. If it can help me in my life, I'm all about it. Shouldn't you? Amen. I 100% agree. I think I shared with you when I was on Broken Catholic that I had to go outside of the Protestant, my tradition. God bless it. I'm so grateful I have it. But I had to go outside to learn some of these things in order to, to grow and that's okay. One of one of the things I want to share with you, friends, is that that is okay. It's all right to be where you are, but if you want to grow, sometimes it's okay to go outside of your tradition as well. Okay, so a couple of things I want to share. Um, if you guys are looking for a book to talk about some of the stuff, not not specifically listening prayer, but the question of does God still speak? Does he still do miracles? Should we still be in that? I'm reading a book right now that I've had in my library for years and never read it, but I knew I needed to. It's called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. By Jack Deere. Have you read this? Have you have you ever come across that? Great book. Here's the good thing for my evangelical friends. He uh, was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and then all of a sudden starts getting. He has somebody into. He tells the whole story, but he suddenly is confronted with the idea that God actually does work. God does heal, and it's a great story. And he'll give you all the arguments about why you should actually think about it. So if you want something like that, that book is a great example. Uh, and the other thing is uh, how people can connect with you, Joseph. So josephwarren.net is probably the best place to get everything. Um, and I'll put those links in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Uh, Joseph, anything you want to leave us with? I'm, I'm glad that you've been here to share your story with us. Thanks, Eric. Yes, I'll leave you with this. God still speaks to his people. And God has something very, very special and personal to say to you if you're listening right now. And I truly believe over a lifetime of painful lessons and stubbornness, you heard about my story. You heard about I was the sheep that God kept breaking the leg on because of my pride and my ego. But I believe that faith is not a solo sport. It's not. And the enemy wants you alone in isolation because you're an easy target. And the sooner you get into fellowship with other believers and forget the labels, like just find what works, find what works. And it, it has to be biblical. Okay. You can't go against it. it can't be, mm-hmm. you can't cherry pick God's truth. You just can't. Cause then it's not truth. It's incomplete. So whatever that looks like, I'm not out to convert anybody. But my calling is simply to point people to their heavenly father and to teach them how to listen to what he wants to tell them about their life and his plan for them. And it doesn't matter what label you identify with. God loves you. And even though your mind tells you differently, I truly believe your mind is a liar. Your heart speaks the truth. Your mind is a liar. Your heart speaks the truth. Jesus promises that he resides in the heart of man, not in the head. And if you're spending most of your life stuck in your head, that's your problem. 
And if you want to learn how to go from your head on the longest journey in the universe to your heart, <laughs> right? I can help you with that. And if you'd like to explore what a coaching relationship looks like with me, then do as Eric said, go to josephwarren.net. That's josephwarren.net and sign up for a complimentary cl- spiritual clarity call with me. And we'll sit for 30 to 40 minutes and get clear on what, what's going on in your life. What do you want? What's missing? And then guide you through what coaching with me may look like and if that's the right fit or not. So I, I did want to just kind of put that out there as a personal invitation to people. You don't have to stay in the isolation. You don't have to be alone in this. Amen. Yeah, there's somebody out there, whether you're listening when this first comes out or later or even years from now, um, that that's for. So I want you guys to do that. You can, I've got links to everything at halfwaytherepodcast.com to Joseph's uh, story and his website, but josephwarren.net. And uh, I'm going to put a link in there to the daily whole daily holy hour as well uh so you guys could check that out it's it's free right you do that free it's a group people can join yes it's not okay. free you oh it's not the free. compensation is you have to give one hour of your there time you go back okay to your creator and, and which isn't a bad roi right he gives not you bad. 24 hours give one hour back and i promise you he will multiply your calendar yeah he i'm not will. he's god that's right and i love i love the way that you just create that space for people so Guys, I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Uh, Friends, thank you for listening. Joseph, thanks for being here. It's been really fun. Eric, God bless you, and God bless every one of your listeners, sir. 